Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Vivian Azer, Cowan's Beverages, Tobacco, and Cannabis Analyst. Thank you for joining us for this podcast where I'm joined by Abner Curtin, who's the CEO of Ascend Wellness Holdings, Brett Heyman, who's the founder of Edie Parker, and George Allen, the chairman of Laurel Farms. Delighted to be joined by these three cannabis executives who are in partnership um, as they expand collectively um, in cannabis markets, principally east of the Mississippi. Abner, let me start with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. For the benefit of our audience, perhaps you can start by offering a little bit of background and how you entered the cannabis market and um, a high-level overview of Ascent. Sure. Um, I was a private investor, ran a hedge fund, uh, looked at investment opportunities for most of my career. And in 2017, I looked at the legalization of cannabis and saw a tremendous investment opportunity. I lived in Massachusetts, and I figured if Massachusetts was going to go adult use, which is a liberal but conservative state, that this was going to go everywhere, and decided to get involved, spend some time out in California, saw the opportunity, and started an investment fund uh, to invest in the space. And quickly, we started to focus on the markets east of the Mississippi, limited license markets, earlier markets, as an area that were really interesting um, from a building a business and a profitability point of view to create value. And, but unfortunately we found a lot of the early operators who um, obviously there were great early operators like GTI, Cresco, Cureleaf, the ones you know, but there were a lot of people with licenses that were unable to execute on that strategy. And so we, we decided to form what's called an MSO, a multi-state operator uh, to take advantage of that by licenses. And so Ascend was formed. Uh, we, we went out and won licenses in, in mass and bought licenses in Illinois. Um, we have the first adult use dispensary um, in a downtown Northeast city with our um, flagship location in downtown Boston, right by Faneuil Hall. Um, we're one of the leading operators in Illinois. We're, we're right by the Miracle Mile um, on Ohio Street down there. We uh, believe that uh, what's coming in the West Coast is coming to the East Coast. There's a real opportunity for these multi-state operators and uh, Ascend to take advantage. We're in Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio in the Midwest. And in the East, we're in Mass and Illinois, uh, New Jersey. And we have a pending acquisition of uh, a New York uh, license of a company called MedMen. Uh, and we're really excited about the future of legalization, particularly the New Jersey market, which comes online in the beginning of next year, and that this is just going to be a continued trend in the United States as these markets flip uh, from medical markets to adult use. And uh, Ascend is trying to be one of the leading MSOs to take advantage of that. That's great. Thank you, Abner. George, why don't I turn to you? Um, if you could offer the audience a little bit of background on your uh, initial involvement in cannabis and, and your current role at Lowell. Great. So I'm. Uh, it's nice to meet you. Thanks for having me today. I'm uh, George Allen. I serve as chairman of Lowell Farms. Uh, we're a California-based operator, but we, we have our product being sold in other markets as well through a licensed partnership with uh, Ascend. Um, if, if, if my background was, I was, uh, I was in cannabis since about 2017 when I got involved with a company called Acreage Holdings. I was president of Acreage Holdings. We went through a transaction 
to to sell that business to Canopy Growth. And at the time of the sale, I left the I left the business because I was really focused on uh, where I thought the the long term value in the business was going, and I really wanted to build brand and brand equity. And I saw a huge opportunity in cannabis, but it was a wide open space. I hadn't really seen anybody that had yet um, that had really captivated the consumer imagination. And I was really fixated on the fact that um, cannabis has a has a consumption problem early on and that uh, it, and that most cannabis was consumed in form factors that were very uh, very much focused on private consumption. And California was the first place that it had was unapologetically uh, recreational. And, and I, so I went to California to build a business around, uh, around that, that concept that California would teach us a lot about what the consumer is looking for and the ability to build a brand around that. So we have a, a, a large amount of infrastructure in California, one of the largest grows in the state com- combined with uh, distribution infrastructure and branding infrastructure to distribute our products and brands uh, across the marketplace. Lowell is our hero product and brand. It's packaged pre-rolls, very much uh, akin to uh, what, what a, a, a cigarette would look like in, in the cannabis landscape. Uh, and and uh, that that product has, has really captured the imagination. It was one of the first brands in all of cannabis to, to, to really identify with the consumer in terms of allowing them to be proud of their choice and to show off their choice of cannabis. You know, the, the, the historical meme of cannabis consumers for a long time has been something that's really been stuck in a rut of people who, who smoke privately. You know, I know people have been smoking for 30 years, but they still hide it from the rest of their family. And, 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 and for me, you, if you're going to build a brand in cannabis, it's really about... Uh, building a brand that makes people proud of their choice and and makes them willing to share and showcase their choice. So that's uh, that's our business. We we um, as I said, we have infrastructure in California, and today our products being sold not only in California but as well in, in Massachusetts and in Illinois. Terrific, thank you for that, George and and Brett. Cert, uh, last but certainly not least, um, if you could offer some background on on Edie Parker and how you decided to enter the cannabis space. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, so I have a fashion background. I worked at Gucci for about 10 years and I was the director of public relations there. Um, and in 2010, I launched a brand called Edie Parker, which is a fashion and mostly accessory uh, luxury business. And we really are a lifestyle business. We make a lot of home accessories. And so in about 2018, my team, we're about 10 women, we started talking about cannabis because it's part of all of our lifestyles. And there was nothing on the market, either in accessories or at a dispensary level that we thought spoke to us um, that didn't feel considered, that didn't feel fun, colorful, optimistic. The way that George mentioned that, you know, people, lifestyles and can, I'm sorry, brands and cannabis want to, you know, you want to show off that choice and show off that brand. We didn't think there was a brand that represented any of our interests. So we started working on a line of accessories and flower and launched Flower by Edie Parker in 2019. Um, we like to say we're the first brand to merge fashion and flower, and that we're a line of colorful collectibles for friends in high places. That's great. I love that tagline. So, Abner, back to you. Um, talk a little bit about kind of the, the the thought process in you know establishing these um, brand relationships and and what that means in terms of execution um, in your own dispensaries as well as through your distribution network. 
Yeah, well, I think when you first, when these states first go legal, particularly in recreational use, there's a real supply shortage. And it's just about getting any viable product on the shelf. You know, co you know customers are coming into empty, sh empty stores. Um, and the first order of business is to get every customer the opportunity to buy an eighth, a pre-roll, a gummy, and a vape every time they come into store. And that is a real challenge for all of us in year one, I think, of any adult use market. But then it starts to change. Then supply starts to come into the market. More people come in with different product offerings. And we move to a more traditional consumer product with good, better, best, various branding, various form factors, various submarkets. But uh, make no mistake about it. This is not another consumer product, right? This is a state-by-state -state business, limited capital, limited distribution, limited advertising. This happens at a much slower pace. You know, I tell people, think about what probably happened in the late 1800s or pre-World War II for, for, for other brands before there was TV and before there was all this fancy marketing. That's kind of the what's going on in cannabis. Um, and we basically had our own brand, a house brand called Ozone, one of the leading brands in Illinois, but it really plays in the quality for value segment. And we'd been looking to develop some brands. We, we, we had some marketing people. We had these, um, we had these fancy consultants, which, which charge a lot of money to build a brand. And I did a bunch of meetings and I came to the conclusion that you know maybe a bunch of 40 year old white guys sitting in new york were going to develop a great cannabis brand but it wasn't likely you know i mean maybe you know we're still trying but you know and that like any other business authentic brands like lowell uh, like Edie parker in the fashion like they know what they're doing they, they they know how to identify a consumer reach out to the consumer and build an authentic brand and i think cannabis is all about authenticity and being committed to both the product and and your brand and we really came to the conclusion that we should we should partner with these brands in the best category and allow our consumers uh, to have access to it not just in our stores but in the whole market and this for us is selfish we we want to be the number one or number two distributor in these states and in order to do that we have to have the best truck coming in delivery each week and the best truck means the best brand selection. And that means I want to put Lowell and Edie on those trucks. If I could just also just sing Abner's praises here a little bit, because as um, on the other side of this trade, I, I will say that, you know, he was he was really unique and and his vision in the business being one of the first multi-state operators to realize that we we're going to go from a supply constrained environment to to uh, an environment where you had to win the customer. And I think. I think uh, a lot of operators are still stuck in, in the mindset that it's going to be an oligopoly or a supply constrained environment where anything you sling at the customer, they're going to have to digest. Abner was one of the first, I think, and, and still remains the strongest advocate of giving consumers the choice and making sure that consumers uh, get, get, you know, get access to the best out there. And I think from my perspective, like it, it, the analogy I use is in the CPG landscape, developing a brand is analogous to writing a hit song. You can say you want to do it. You can sit in a room for as long as you want and, and crank out ideas. But a brand happens because of a confluence of things that resonate with the consumer in a moment in time. And it's almost impossible to sort of formulaically recreate it. Abner recognized that and has brought in Brett and brought in myself to, to, to help him in his portfolio in the state. And I think there's, there's many operators out there who don't see what he sees, and I think he's going to win because of 
Look, ju just to be fair, I, I mean, there are a number of attractive brands coming out of the MSOs. I mean, I think what Cresco is doing with Mindy's Edibles, what Cureleaf is doing with Select, what GTI is doing with Dog Walkers. I mean, there are good brands out there. I think the point is that there's a lot of white space and opportunity for non-MSO brands to come in and take meaningful share. Absolutely. No, I, think I, I will just say about those brands that you just mentioned, uh, if, if you just if you want to put them on a shelf in California, they ain't going to hold water. None of them have. So I think they've done a nice job and they're, they are doing a great job. But if you really want to put them into the gauntlet of success uh, in, in a competitive environment that is that is probably the most competitive in the world, uh, they, they, they haven't been able to hold their head above water. And, and not to say that they, they've leaned into it as much as they otherwise would. But but I think, you know, I think you do see there is there is a virtue in in picking the best uh, and, and then importing it. Okay, well, Boris, Ben, Charlie, I did not say that. That was George Allen. Thank you. <laughs> I know. See, that, now I know why you did that. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I can't all in here. Can't all in. Brett, let me turn to you for a minute. I think, you know, what, what Edie Parker is bringing to the cannabis space really is, is truly differentiated. I mean, all, all of you are doing something that's differentiated, to be sure. But, you know, from a price point perspective, you know, coming from a background where you're selling, you know, $1,500, you know, handbags, you're, you're setting a, a new price point with very attractive accessories in the cannabis marketplace. You know, talk a little bit about kind of some of the, the consumer appeal for, for that kind of high-end fashion-oriented, you know, luxury accessory and how you think about that subcategory and that core consumer. We are a, a luxury brand for sure. We have variation in pricing. We have entry price points, but we didn't set out to make a $1,500 handbag. Our handbag is expensive because it's hand poured acrylic, because it's made by skilled artisans in the U.S. who get paid a living wage. So, you know, we can't talk about transparency and accountability and not have to pay for it. And I think cannabis is the same for us. Like, you know, we, we want to work with people like Abner, um, who have the best, you know, they do the best cultivation, they have the best retail, et cetera. So um, look, I think we're trying to play in a space where our packaging is extremely um, appealing, but we're not the most expensive. Uh, we, like Abner said, like we're in that sort of good, better category. We're not trying to be a really high-end cannabis brand. We know it's not the same as making a luxury handbag. We know that the people who want to spend the most in cannabis want to, you know, are obsessed with the plant, want to have the best cultivation, want to talk about the best strains. Like that's not us. We know that. We're just, we're an authentic brand that's been around for 10 years. That's for women by women. Um, that means something. Our brand means something to a lot of people. And we have a lot of avenues where you can find us. You know, we were at the Met Gala on six celebrities with these really like socially relevant bags with social messages on them the other night. And so then we get this sort of free um, media coverage in, in the New York Times and Vogue in, in, in places that aren't necessarily talking about cannabis, but you know, that is a big part of who we are now. And so I think for our cannabis accessories, we have just like in our heritage accessories, like a range of products. We have one of our biggest sellers are our rolling papers. They're $10, but they're extremely branded. They're meant to be shown off. Um, then we have $700 bongs because they're hand blown glass with an artist named Paul Arnhold um, right out of Red Hook. So I think we run the gamut and we are working with traditional retailers like Urban Outfitters who are launching smoke accessories. It's a new category for them. They've done really well. They've blown out of them and reordered them a few times. So I think there's really opportunity to speak to a lot of different people with the accessories um, and with our flower offerings. And I would say this sector 
has has not done a good job with the female consumers. I mean, it's early, like there's a lot of opportunity, but there aren't brands, uh, you know, that that speak to them. There, are, quite frankly, there aren't enough women in the industry in general. Um, and this is a huge, you know, the, the, there's certainly more women than men in this country, and they they like cannabis. And if you know, if we don't do a better job um, offering uh, products that they like. Um, you know, we're going to suffer. Absolutely. It would be a shame for the cannabis industry, I think, to, to repeat some of the mistakes that we've seen in, in big alcohol, uh, where not only do you not cater to a female consumer, um, in, in some cases, you end up alienating uh, a female consumer. And that's a hard consumer to win back uh, when that happens. One of the connective threads, you know, that I think has emerged in our conversation, you know, thus far is pre-rolls, rolling paper, you know, that that form factor specifically. So um, Abner, let me start with you and then, then I'll turn to, to George and Brett. But, you know, as you kind of think about, you know, category development in, in the broader THC marketplace, what, what is the role that you're seeing for pre-rolls today and how do you expect that to evolve? I mean, pre-rolls is a huge focus of Ascend. Uh, you know, we, we are the number one or two pre-roll company with Cresco in Illinois. We launch um, in Massachusetts, uh, with a heavy pre-roll assortment. And the thesis is simple. I mean, when you look at tobacco, right, 98, 90% of the people smoke cigarettes, one or 2% roll their own, uh, cigarettes and in cannabis, 15 to 20%, um, uh, you know, use pre-rolls, the rest use loose flour. And I think that's a legacy issue. People, people, um, have, have always bought loose flour. They have a relationship with the flour, uh, that includes rolling the joint, um, that will always be part of the business, but there's plenty of room, you know, my, my over 21 year old children, um, you know, don't know how to roll a joint. They've got like one friend that does, and, uh, they want to buy, and they want me to bring home a bag of pre-rolls and, um, Abner, you have failed as a father. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you know, so, so I, I, we tend to see this as a, as a huge category opportunity and one that really, when you look at the cigarette space really looks to branding. You know, it's our segment that really branding matters. Certainly. And then, and George, I was wondering if you maybe want to expand on that, just given the importance of pre-rolls um, as a, a portion of the portfolio for Lowell. Well, I think that we, we come in from two different approaches. The, fir the first is really just in, in where the consumer is going. And in terms of dollars, uh, dollars spent, the largest dollar growth we're seeing in the marketplace is in the natural form of cannabis, so you could, you know, we talk a lot about edibles, we talk a lot about vapes, uh, but if you look at uh, flour and pre-roll com combined, that's the mo in the most advanced market in the world, California. You're seeing those two categories outgrow the balance of the market in terms of dollar growth uh, pretty substantially. And I think the reason for that is that that smoking cannabis in its raw form has been a little bit demystified. It used to be associated with the sort of fringe element of society, and now it's starting to become more mainstream. And frankly, I think New York, when they legalized, uh, you know, smoking uh, outside anywhere where you can smoke a cigarette, you can smoke cannabis, is really starting to show, you know, that transition in 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 the in the mind of the consumer. And so it, the experience is vastly superior smoking flour in its raw form or smoking cannabis in its raw form versus these other sort of form factors that I think served the purpose early on. And those pur the purpose really was around discretion, right? We, we, you saw a huge need for discretion early on in, in cannabis consumption because there was such a negative stigma around uh, smoking cannabis. 
And so I'm going to have a gummy or I'm going to have uh, a, I'm going to have a vape pen because it allows me to microdose or allows me to dose without anybody else knowing it. The problem I have with that is it's very hard to build a brand. And I said this before, it's very hard to build a brand on any product that's fundamentally based around discretion, because the only avenues that you have to talk to that consumer are around uh, price and, and utility. And those are, those are frankly, those are pretty lame avenues to market a brand around, right? If you really want to market a brand, you look at brand, you look at brands, uh, categories where you see huge brand premiums and, and huge brand density, meaning brands, uh, you know, the larger brands control a large share of the market. And those are automobile and fashion and then jewelry and sneakers and a whole bunch of categories that are really premised around the notion of not only do I make a choice based on my perception of quality and utility, but I make a choice based on what I think other people are going to think about me by the, by the choice that I've externally shown uh, on display. And I think that's something you really fail to get, right? That external sharing, that external showcasing of my choice, you don't see that in those other form factors. So I think it's a combination of the, the fact that, that pre-rolls are uh, the, the natural form factor of cannabis and a better, a better experience with, where the consumer is telling you they want to go, as well as a market opportunity in pre-rolls where I see the real ability to build brand. Because when you walk into a party and you take a roll pack out and you put it onto the table, you, you, you're, you're showcasing that you understand what quality means. You understand that, that you're on the inside of some knowledge base in cannabis that other people want to be in. And, and that's why we've seen, you know, ever since the product dropped in Illinois, we've seen the product really accelerate in shelf velocity because the consumer is, the consumer sees it at a party and they understand it and there's a virality to it. That virality can't exist in a marketplace or in a product modality that's really based on private discrete consumption. So I, I focused on pre-rolls because of all the things that Abner said, we see a huge opportunity for pre-rolls to take share from flour. But I also think it's a huge opportunity for us to build brands. And frankly, I'm not stopping until we see our brand on the tail fin of a, of a NASCAR. <laughs> one day, one day, George. Sooner <laughs> than you think. You're not gonna get to the Met Gala though. Brett's got that, so there you go. <laughs> Tax the rich. <laughs> Tax the rich, crazy. Oh, but, you know, it, you raise a good point, George, it makes me think about, you know, Brett's portfolio, you know, in, in terms of, you know, really distinguishing yourself on on shelf and, and creating that that brand ethos. Um, you know, your, your packaging and your offerings, Brett, are, are, are so distinct um, and, and truly female um, friendly. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the innovation process that, that you and your team of 10 women went through um, in terms of, you know, devising, you know, these awesome, you know, lighters that have, you know, a stash component or the vanity trays? Um, well, thank you. I mean, look, we've been innovating and creating product for 10 years. So I think it was just... Um, it was based on everything we do is based on what we want to have, right? I mean, what we want to have in our homes, what we want to buy, what we want to give to our girlfriends. And I think we were really jazzed about this idea of cannabis and the accessories as items that you display and share. Because as George alluded to, historically, cannabis is something that like you, know, you do in the shadows and you hide your NYU pipe in the back of your drawer. And our brand ethos is the opposite, right? We're about surprising and delighting. We want to share it. We want to show it off. That's why everything we do is branded in a really considered and cute way. You know, when I say branded, I don't, we don't slap our logo all over everything. It's, it's color blocked. It has a, like a little flower. I mean, it's just 
it's thoughtful. Um, so I think that was where we were excited that it felt like we're in a real white space that nobody in our category, certainly in this intersection of fashion and flower, makes accessories like this. Make, you know, obviously you can buy a tabletop lighter, but something that is just so unabashedly celebratory and romantic um, for the person who has either always loved cannabis and, and felt maybe a sense of shame or who's discovering cannabis. We love talking to that woman who, with more and more legalization, feels less intimidated as she goes into a dispensary. And certainly if she can buy her you know, color-blocked med-tainer grinder on Urban Outfitter, she's going to feel a lot better about it. Absolutely. And Abner, let me let me wrap up uh, the, the interview with you. As you think about kind of the, the rollout plans for, for both of these brand partnerships, talk a little bit about what the next, you know, 12 months or so holds. You know, George referenced, you know, they've launched in Illinois, Massachusetts um, within the last few days. So just talk about kind of the, the medium-term um, expansion plans. Yeah, first of all, which we haven't said is, uh, in terms of uh, pre-rolls, I think, you know, the the, cons uh, the consumer investor might think, oh, you go buy a cigarette machine and you throw in the cannabis and the paper and out come all these pre-rolls. This is still not an automated business. There still is not good uh, machinery and automation. So this is a very labor-intensive business. That's a huge barrier to entry, and that slows down the rollout of all products. Uh, Edie and Lowell are, are discerning brands. They want a certain level of quality as they should, as they should. And, you know, it's, 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 we have to do a good job and make sure we can execute on that. So it takes a little bit of time. Um, we have launched uh, Lowell um, in uh, Illinois. We're in the process of launching it in mass and then bringing it up to, uh, bringing it up to scale and getting it into every door in Illinois. Edie follows very shortly behind that. Um, in terms of fourth quarter launches in both places. Um, we like to get them out to our stores first so we can test it out, see, see customer reception, see about placement digitally and in the store, and then roll it out to the rest of the state. Uh, we like to do that uh, in conjunction with brand ambassadors and uh, bud tender giveaways to try to really build that brand presence uh, at the start. And that's where we lean on great brands to uh, help accentuate their, their brand identity into the market. Um, but we're in six states. You know, We see the legalization of New Jersey happening next year. We'd like to get these brands in New Jersey. Uh, Michigan is a competitive market with pre-rolls. We think both brands would do well. And to be frank, you know, we, you know, we, 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 we don't, we are an exclusive. We want to be, we want them to be in every door. We know they're going to work in others with other people in other States. Then that's fine. You know, we're, we're here to build the brand in our States and build the distribution for the benefit of all of us. That's terrific. Well, Abner and Brett and George, thank you all so much for your time and your insights into our audience. Thank you for spending the time. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm Vivian Azar, Cowan's Beverages, Tobacco, and Cannabis Analyst. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.